And uh, His mercy is more, and His grace is more, and uh, just so, He's just so good, good to us, and uh, thankful that we can open up His amazing Word together this morning. So if you do have your Bibles, we read it just a moment ago, but we are going to be in Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, walking through the Psalms over the summer, uh, and Psalm 1 today, and our theme today is Two Paths. Two paths, two paths are uh, laid out for us in this psalm that we're going to walk together. Uh, and the reality is, is all of us are on one of these two paths. Uh, all of us here. And, and I, I'm thankful that we're going to be able to walk through this passage together. And as we begin, I want to just kind of begin with a little group participation this, this morning, okay? Uh, so we are kind of officially into summertime, I, I, I think, officially now. Uh, and so uh, maybe perhaps you or others you might know might take some time this summer and go and do something or go to a place that they really, really want to go, right? So I want to ask this question. If over the course of this summer you could go anywhere, you could do anything, like almost like bucket list kind of feel, like what are you going to do? All right, so I want you to think about that question. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? All right, you got it? Just take a second, and if you're up for it, just tell somebody nearby, where would you go? What would you do if you could do anything this summer? Go for it. Uh, discuss amongst yourselves, and uh, I'll jump in here in just a second. All right, I see some smiles because uh, when we think about those places we love to go or maybe those things we love to experience, it brings a smile. So uh, I got a lot of stuff that I love to do, but one of those is, and I couldn't do it over the summer, it'd actually take like six months to do, but it would be to hike the Appalachian Trail. Like I would love to hike the Appalachian Trail, which by the way, I've called it Appalachian Trail my entire life, and David James, our worship pastor, went to school at Appalachian State, and I learned that the right way to say it is Appalachian, so I just learned that last week, so maybe some others learned too, right? Appalachian, I would love to hike all 2,190 miles of it. I'd love to start in Springer Mountain, Georgia, and I'd love to take about five, six months and just go all the way to Katahdin, Maine to the top. Like, it would be amazing. And, and here is what's amazing about this trail. Anybody ever hike the AT? Just curious. Anybody want to? <laughs> I'm the only one. Okay, like three of us. Okay, so I see that hand. All right, we're, we'll church trip sometime, right? Uh, just ask Wolf work for like six months. We'll, we'll be good. Uh, but, but the trail, like all of us have probably been on a trail. And you see the picture behind me. The trail is marked. Uh, that's how you know you're on the trail. Uh, you're going somewhere. I'm thinking you at least want to know you're headed in the right direction, especially if you're hiking the AT, right? Uh, and so on the Appalachian Trail, you will find a series of these red kind of vertical rectangles all along the path. And, and, and there's actually different, deny, different designs. Some will say a right turn, left turn, uh, straight ahead. And then when you get where you're above the trees, there's actually rock piles they call 
cairns, I believe is what they're called, but when there are no more trees, they're kind of like built up so you know you're on the right path. And I'm just thankful somebody decided that it would be good to help people know where they're going. Uh, and, and that, to me, is the gift of Psalm 1, is that in this psalm, I mentioned there are two paths that, that we're on. Everybody's on one or two of those paths. Like, there's no middle ground. There's no middle path. And God has graciously provided, on the AT, they call them blazes, but, but, but like these, these blazes, these, these markers that let us know what path we're on. Because again, all of us are on one or two of these paths. And so the main idea this morning of Psalm 1 is that every person is on one of these two paths, one leading to life and the other leading to death. One leads to life, one leads to death. One path is God's way. One path is the world's way. One path leads to life, an everlasting life. One path leads to death, an eternal life. Death. One path, as the words of Jesus said in Matthew 7, one path is very narrow and one path is really wide. There's only two. Jesus said this in Matthew 7 verse 13 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, enter this invitation, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. I think that's significant. I think that that would cause us to want to lean in and learn more because Jesus says that few are on this narrow path. Wide is the path of least destruction. Many are on that. But few are on this narrow path. So Psalms, as we walk through the summer, Psalms, and I love that we sang Psalm 8 because that's really what the Psalms are. Psalms are like an ancient songbook to the people of God. They would sing these songs, they would pray these prayers, and there's all kinds of different ones in the, in the book of the Psalms. You see, Psalms are of lament, that is like just honest cries out to God. Many of us have gone to the Psalms when we've been in a desperate place. And it's like the Psalms actually guide us in what it looks like to cry out to God. Some Psalms are known as Messianic Psalms. That mean they, they point us to Christ. In this case, in the Old Testament, they point to Christ as the Messiah who will come. Some Psalms are known as Thanksgiving Psalms, Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalms of Praise. Some are known as Royal Psalms, some are psalms that call down wrath on God's enemies. I mean, there's all kinds of different psalms. And one of those kind of uh, psalms of this Hebrew poetry that we're reading is called Psalms of Wisdom or Wisdom Psalms. And Psalm 1 is one of those psalms of wisdom. It's a wisdom psalm. Now here's my hunch. All of us well, I think all of us are like, yes, I need wisdom. All right? I need that for my life. I need wisdom. I need God's wisdom for my life. And my hunch is I'm not alone. My hunch is that everybody in the room would, would agree that, yes, I need God's wisdom. And what the beauty of God's wisdom is, he says, if you want it, ask for it. And I'll give it. 
Over in the book of James, in James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, the Holy Spirit through James to the church says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So in other words, God invites us to pray and ask for wisdom. And that if we have faith and trust him, he's going to give it. He's going to give us that wisdom. Wisdom is that understanding and seeing things from God's perspective. But it's not only that, it's the grace to follow through and what he shows us in response to his perspective and his design. And so Psalm 1 is a psalm of wisdom. And God in his grace toward us this morning is going to give his people and give anyone who has ears to hear this incredibly divine gift of this psalm of wisdom. And it begins in Psalm 1 verse 1 where King David wrote this psalm. King David says this, Blessed is the man. I want to stop right there just for a second talk about this word blessed or blessed. That word also would mean happy. It's even, it's even if you dig into the language, it's actually a plural form. It's, it's almost like, oh, happy of happinesses. Um, it, it's, a, it's kind of a fun thing to say. Oh, happy of happinesses. This is, this, is, this is what this path, this is what this blessed looks like if you listen closely to my wisdom that I want to give you. And what a gift that God is giving us this this explanation of how this oh happy of happinesses is experienced because I've never met anybody in my life who doesn't want to be happy. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Everybody I know wants to be happy, wants to experience happiness. And we are experts at seeking out happiness. And we seek happiness in all kinds of different ways. Um, some search after happiness, seeking out affirmation and attention from others. That, that, that if you can do something, say something in such a way that other people will see you and speak attention and affirmation in your life, like this is going to bring you some happiness. Some believe that as long as I get that job, that specific job, that if I can get that specific job, then that will bring happiness. That will, that will bring, oh, happy of happinesses. If I can just get that job or I can just have that title. Some feel that like it's, it's a relationship. And so if I could just have that relationship, if I could just have that relationship, wonder how many people have prayed that prayer. God, if you just let me, you know, like just let me be in that relationship, that is gonna make like, oh, happy of happinesses. Some would say that if only I could get like one more zero at the end of that check, like that would just bring, oh, happy of happinesses. But we all know like it's like even if it brings some temporary satisfaction, there's nothing lasting about it. Like there's only one source of lasting, true happiness of happinesses, peace, 
satisfaction and abiding joy. And it's only through a relationship with God. It's the only, only way. I read an article this past week that eight out of every 10 Americans would say, if I could just make a little bit more money, then that will make me happy. But I think we all know that maybe for a minute, but it all just it all just wears out. Zig Ziglar said this way. He said, money might not make you, money might not make you happy, but everybody wants to find out for themselves, right? Like, hey, like, yeah, I, I at least like to give it a shot, okay? I know it won't, but let's, let's give it a go and let's, let's see what happens. But God, again, is going to use King David, the author of this psalm, to help us truly understand the only source of happy of happinesses. And he's going to do so by painting two paths. I mentioned we're all on one of these two paths. There's a path that leads to death. There's a path that leads to life. And, and God, the Holy Spirit, through King David, is going to start by telling us where it is not. And I don't know why God would choose to start that way, but maybe it's because we try to find things in wrong places sometimes. Maybe he just wants to save us some heartache and some, some tears and some wasted energy. But he's going to tell us where it's not. And so the path that leads to death, Psalm 1 verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I'll read that one more time. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, there's a progression that's happening here. We see this progression of walking, and then standing, and then sitting. It didn't start with where you sit, it begins with where you walk. And so he's walking, and then he's standing, and then he's sitting. Now, what I know about all of us is we have found struggle and temptation in our lives and in our worlds. That perhaps even for some of you, if, if, if we were to write our life in the sky, we might see that there are some very, what we might even call strongholds that have found their way into our lives and they're hindering our relationship with God. And, and we know that and we know it's, not healthy, but we found ourselves almost, we feel like we're kind of entangled a little bit. But here's the thing, if we trace it back, the stronghold, you might could trace it back, or this massive struggle, you might could trace it back to where it was somewhere along the way where you were walking. And then from walking, it became a standing, and from a standing, it came to sitting. There's a song, I, I think the name of it is called Slow Fade. It's like this idea that it just doesn't happen in a blink. Like nobody, I, I've talked to many people throughout the years who suffer with toxic addictions. And not a single person has, whether it's sitting knee to knee or eye to eye, and just said, I woke up and I found myself in this toxic addiction. No, you can you can look up and you can look back and you can typically trace a time where it started out as walking and then it became standing and then it became sitting. Sinful strongholds can typically go back to this. Nobody wakes up and says that 
I want my career to be more important than my family. Nobody wakes up and says, today I'm going to cheat on my taxes. Nobody wakes up and says, today I'm going to have an affair. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be in a toxic addiction today. Like it all, it's a, it's a, it's a, you see that process, walking, standing, sitting. So first King David says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That word counsel speaks of advice. Advice, good counsel is an incredibly gracious gift from God. Like good advice, good advice is a gift from God. However, bad advice is an instrument of the enemy. And, and by the way, there is no shortage of advice, is there? <laughs> I mean, don't we all have opinions about everything? Like, we would just love for people to ask. Like, we could solve all the world's problems and, like, everything would be great only if, like, this, this, and this happened. But, but here's the thing. All of us, all of us have opinions and all of us probably have advice. And, and maybe people have sought our advice or we have sought others in advice. And, and King David is giving a warning. He's like, if you want to experience happiness of happinesses, then don't walk in the counsel or the advice of of the wicked because here's the thing we may know people that we can go to and will tell us what we want to hear but how many of us have godly people in our lives who when we go to them they will tell us what we need to hear and those are two different things oftentimes what we want to hear and what we need to hear but God through this psalm is telling us what we need to hear. And so he moves King David from walking to standing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners. Again, from walking to standing. That word standing means to loiter. It means to stay. It means to remain. It speaks uh, of who you associate with in your life. It speaks of those closest relationships that you have. Probably many of us and probably most all of our parents have maybe quoted the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, where it says, bad company corrupts good character. And for many of us, we have poured that into our children's lives. But here's the thing, like this, this wasn't written, like this is written for everybody. <laughs> like we need that. We need to know that whether you're in elementary school or whether you're in middle school or whether you're in high school or whether you're in the workforce or, or in college or, or uh, you know, whatever, whatever stage of life, you're an empty nester, if you're a senior adult, like wherever you find yourself, like we all need, we all need this wisdom from God. We all need that wisdom that God would guide us into this, oh, happiness of happinesses. And so, God here is instructing through King David that these sinners are those who miss the mark of God's standard and don't care. So we, we all are sinners. I think we would all agree with that. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But yet there are those who are described here as those who, who don't honor the Lord and just they don't care. They don't care. It's a warning sign. And so I do feel it's important though that we also see the importance of of nurturing relationships with people who don't know the Lord, right? It's, it's, we're seeing this text that, that, that we need to be guarded about 
who we associate with, the, don't stand in the way of sinners. Uh, and yet we see in, in, in the Bible where Christ was the friend of sinners. Now, aren't you so glad he was? Like, I'm so thankful he was. Like, you'll find Jesus around tables with tax collectors, and, and, and yet in his ministry, you see him as this influence of rescuing people out of the pit that they may found, find themselves in. And, and so we need to nurture those relationships. I mean, as, as Paul said, how will they know unless someone tells them? How will they know? But there is a level of discernment that comes in the believer's life where we understand whether it's a certain time or a certain place and even being self-aware where I am not the one influencing here. I am the one being influenced. And there, there's a discernment there. I can't even think about like, I love eating cheeseburgers. I, I, I think I could eat a cheeseburger like every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, like all the time. I love them. And let's just say cheeseburgers aren't good for me, but I love cheeseburgers. And so what I'm not going to do is be like, okay, I love cheeseburgers. It's my weakness, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Like I love me a cheeseburger, but I know it's not good for me. So where am I not going to go? I'm not going to go to Wimpy's. I'm not going to go to Five Guys. Why? Because you walk in and like, that's what they do. Like they make cheeseburgers and, or burgers. And, and, so, and so the wisdom is like, I understand I'm self-aware of my struggle, my temptations, my weaknesses, and just using that wisdom that God gives us. But God has called us to be salt and to be light in a world that desperately, desperately, desperately needs him. Verse 1 again, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. A scoffer would be one who would basically make light about God and about God's word and about things that are sacred to God. It's when God becomes the punchline of a joke or the Word of God, or the work of God, and the things of God become entertainment. And that this is a dangerous place, this seat of the scoffer. And for what it's worth, my hunch is, is that as followers of Christ, and as disciples of Christ, that we will feel the weight and the, the being subject to ridicule probably more and more and more as we follow Jesus in a depraved world, in a world that desperately, desperately needs him. But don't miss this. These are blazes on the path. This is God saying through David, you want to, oh, happy of happinesses? Then here's where not to go. Don't walk in the path or the way of sinners. Don't stand with or excuse me, don't walk in the path of the wicked, don't stand in the path of the sinners, and don't sit in the seat of the scoffer. And these are marks. Warren Wiersbe says this. I love the way he, he puts things. He says this, if you follow the wrong counsel, you'll soon stand with the wrong friends and you'll sit with the wrong crowd. And so it's easy to hear this and be like, well, I would never do this or I would never do that. To which I would encourage all of us to um, take heed, as the Bible says, lest you fall. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. 
We look at Peter. Peter was one of the leader of the disciples, one of the leaders of the apostles. And in that upper room on the evening of Christ's betrayal, they're in an upper room. And Peter, with all, I would imagine, all the boldness in the world, would, would stand up. And, and, and I don't know exactly what it looked like, but basically to Christ, I'll defend you to the end. Which is really easy to say when you're with Jesus and you're with 11 disciples and you're in an upper room. But what does Jesus say to him? He says, oh no, Peter, before a rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times. And I couldn't imagine Peter's almost feeling insulted by Jesus. What? Like I would, I would never do that. Can't you hear him saying that? I would never do that. But what happens? Peter is walking with Jesus and the mob shows up and now long, no longer is Peter walking with Jesus. And where do we find Peter next? He's standing in the courtyard with those who scoff at the Lord. And then what's the next thing that's coming out of his mouth? I don't know who this is. Like, you see, how does that happen? It's a progression. Walking, standing, sitting. And God in His grace has given us blazes to see there's a path that leads to life. There's a path that leads to destruction. So this path that leads to death, a path that leads to life. Verse one again, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We just took a U-turn in the text. It's like you're, 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 in the, you're, you're walking, you're standing, you're sitting, and then King David just takes this U-turn. And he says, but blessed, O happy of happinesses, is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Delight means to take pleasure in. It means to long for. It means to desire. King David is showing this way to, oh, happy of happinesses, is that you would root your lives in the unchanging, amazing, grace-filled truth of God's word, this word of God. David understood that the word of God was about the God of the word. And he clung to that and he delighted in that. And here's what's amazing. We think about it. David's Bible was not the Bible that we have. Like we got Genesis to Revelation. We got the whole thing. We saw how it was all gonna unfold. We see how it's coming to a imminent wrap up of Christ making all things new. But what did King David have? He had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had the Torah, or he had the Pentateuch. Like, that was the Word of God revealed at that point. And for King David, he delighted in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That the Bible says that on his law he meditates day and night it speaks of a settled position that I delight in the word and I meditate day and night. Meditate's an interesting word. It means to mutter or to moan. It means to read in an undertone. Like the Orthodox Jews, when they read the scriptures, they actually read uh, with almost like a, a, an, a, an utterance underneath their breath as they're reading the word like the words in their mouth. It also paints a picture, and, and I, I shared with our 8 o'clock service this morning 
Uh, I apologize that this is probably going to be kind of disgusting when I say this, but the word picture is here is of an animal chewing the cud. All right, an animal chewing the cud. Does anybody know what that means? A few people. So I wanted to be sure I defined it the right way, so I looked up a definition, and here's what it is. To chew the cud is to slowly chew. This was an animal. Slowly chews their partially digested food over and over again before it finally swallows it. I thought for sure I'd get a uh or something. Like, man, there we go. Like, that's like, what? Like, that's a, that's a gross picture. But it's a powerful illustration of what King David is sharing. It's a powerful picture because King David is saying to settle into the word, to chew on this word, to cling to this word, to rest in this word, to meditate on this word, to stay with this word. That it's been said, it's not just reading the word, it's feeding on the word. It's clinging to this word. It causes us to slow down. It causes us to reflect. causes us to meditate. causes us to consider. It causes us to reflect. I'm so thankful for faithful men and women of the faith who have come alongside me along the way and they've discipled me. They've poured truth into my life and they've helped me know what it looks like to follow Jesus and to honor him. And I'm so thankful that along the way, somebody encouraged me, Jared, don't just read the word, engage with the word. That for for years and years, disciples have been made by engaging with the word through what's called the sword method, which is basically it's engaging with the word with different questions. It's as you read the word, you don't just read the word, but you stay in the word. You ask questions like, what does this text teach me about God? What does this teach text me about mankind? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a, 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 a promise to cling to? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? That you begin to engage and to feed on the word. And that this is how King David, when he writes Psalm 119, the largest psalm found in the Psalms, he says this in verse 103, how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. But he didn't just stop there. He's going to paint a picture. And this picture is the life of the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on that word day and night. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. That there is a whole part of a tree that we don't see when we look out at our yards. You go out in your yard, you see trees. But if we could have like 3D glasses that could see through the dirt, what we would see is an, an integral root system that has grown down and grown out. And what that root system is doing is is seeking out nutrients and sustenance in order to thrive and to produce whatever fruit, maybe if it's a fruit tree that it was designed to make. There's a whole root system as believers. As believers, we have a relationship with Jesus, but there is a root system that you can't see in each other's lives. 
But it's us as believers have these spiritual root systems that are digging down deep. And my hunch is all of us have sought after specific things that we think are going to bring lasting joy and lasting sustenance and happy of happinesses. But what we understand in God's wisdom again is he's telling us is that thriving and that abiding and your leaf not withering away and whatever you do prospers, that only comes about as you cling to the word of God and the God of the word. And you nurture your relationship with him. I think about if you were to grow an orange, uh, let's say an orange tree, like an orange tree isn't planted and the orange tree isn't like, oh, I'm going to make oranges. Oh, I hope I make some, you know, like that's, that's not how it works. Like orange trees, you plant, gets the nutrients that it needs, the sustenance. And what happens? It's alive. It grows. It produces fruit. It doesn't like think it up. It just naturally comes from that plant. This is why we call in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Because we don't work this up. It's the Spirit at work, the Spirit of God at work in us that creates this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The Word says, and its leaf does not wither. It speaks of perseverance and endurance. There's no greater encouragement than to see a faithful follower of Jesus remaining faithful to the very end to love the Lord. And all that He does, He prospers. That word means to advance. It means to, pros- to, to progress. It means to mature. It means to mature. So two contrasting pictures. This path that leads to life, this path that leads to death, and one final observation in the text this morning in verses four through six is a gracious warning. And I pray we all would lean into this because it really is a gracious warning. I I had a conversation this week with with a a friend and we were talking about grace and I was sharing how like I think that I'm just now beginning to understand a little bit more about just how amazing God's grace really is. God is so gracious to us. He's so good to us. He's so gracious to us. If you think about grace, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And all of us have been a recipient of God's amazing grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. This is a warning that we don't deserve. But God in His grace is giving this instruction. Verse 4, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So he just talked about this, this tree that is alive, that is thriving, that its spiritual root system digs down deep. Uh, it is fruitful. It is rooted. And yet he is now contrasting that with chaff that is dead, that is rootless, and that is fruitless. And chaff is, honestly, I don't know that I've ever seen chaff. Maybe I saw it and I didn't realize it in my lifetime. But in this area of the world and in that time, the way uh, that they would process wheat is there would be the wheat grain and the wheat grain would be, would be covered up in this husk or this, 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 this skin that's called the chaff. 
And so then this process called winnowing, which I've, I've never seen before, but we read about it in the scriptures. Even in the book of Ruth, you'll find that there was the, the threshing floor. It's where they would separate the wheat grain, the good from the worthless, from the chaff. And it's this process of, of the, the wheat grain separating from the, the skin that has nothing to do with it. And so what the Holy Spirit through King David is saying that the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. In other words, in the threshing floor, the grain would fall to the ground and the chaff literally, when the wind would pick up, it would just, 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 whoosh, just swish it away. Like wherever the wind blows, like that's where it goes. To which that would describe a life that is living aimlessly apart from a relationship with God, just tossed with the wind just blown with the wind, those apart from a life-giving relationship with Jesus are carried away. In Matthew chapter 7, just after that narrow path, wide path discussion, Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 23 that he will say to the chaff, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So verse 5, Jesus says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Will perish. Two paths. One leads to life. One leads to death. One leads to eternal satisfaction, joy, peace, and the presence of God. One that leads to eternal judgment, eternal death apart from God. And as we see this text, God in his grace, he has painted blazes on this trail that we're on. And this invitation to turn and trust, to turn and trust, to turn and trust, to believe, to trust, to receive him as Lord. He has marked it plainly so none of us can miss. And in this Psalm of wisdom, he is saying, here is what this path looks like. Which path are you on? Because the righteous will spend eternity in Which, by the way, the Bible says my righteousness is like a filthy rag. So when we talk about righteousness and the righteous, what I'm not talking about is Jared's righteousness. What I'm talking about is the righteousness of Christ that God gifts those who turn from their sin and trust in Him and clothe his followers in righteousness. That way when God sees us, sees me, he doesn't see me. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And this is why King David can say that for the righteous, they will spend eternity with him, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm begins with blessedness and it ends with perish. And there is this invitation to discern where you are and what path you are on. And there's only two there's not a middle row. Like we got a middle row right here. We got a row right here and we got a row over here and there's a row right down the middle. There is no middle, there is no middle row. There's just two. And so God in his grace is extending to those living on that life leading to destruction, this invitation to life and life to the full by admitting that they are a sinner, understanding their need for a savior, turning and changing their mind about their sin and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ 
as Lord of all. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And I believe for the believer, for the righteous, it's also an, a call to evaluation in our lives. Because even for Peter, Peter found himself saying things and doing things he said he would never do. Why? Because he walked away from the Lord. And so God in His grace is inviting those that perhaps your relationship with the Lord hasn't been everything that it needs to be or you desire to be. And this is God's gracious invitation to come and to rest and experience, oh, happy of happinesses in a life-giving relationship with Him. Praise God for His wisdom and for His grace. And He has given us His wisdom this morning through Psalm 1. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. And we thank You for Your amazing love and Your amazing grace. God, I'm reminded of just that hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God, I am reminded through this psalm that your gracious wisdom that you're giving to us, that God, that we would be careful who the loudest voice is in our lives, but that the loudest voice would be the voice of your word and the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And God, I pray for that person living on that path leading to death, God, that they would acknowledge and understand your love for them and your invitation to them to everlasting life. And God, that we would be, again, careful, God, with just where we walk and where we stand and where we sit. But God, that you would empower us and give us courage to be a loving grace and truth witness to a world that desperately needs you, desperately needs you. So Father, may you find us sensitive and obedient to all that you put before us. And God, we are just thankful that you don't invite us to do it in our own strength, but God, through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. God, we love you. We praise you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as we have a song of response. And, and here's what I know. Every time we're in the Word, there is an invitation to respond. And that can look a lot of different ways. But I encourage us just that we would have our hearts sensitive to the Lord and obedience to however He would lead us. And God, as well, pastors here would love to pray for you. Altar is always open. But just let's be sensitive to how the Lord wants to lead us today.